0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. We began last week a series on the parables. And uh, last week I just talked about, I kind of opened up the series and I talked about um, Um, what Jesus, how Jesus describes the parables and he talks about um, uh, the secrets of the kingdom. And uh, I I just talked about that a little bit. Um, And he uses this phrase for many of the parables, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus is unpacking um, what the kingdom of heaven is like by telling people in parables And I felt it was something that it's worth us exploring so that we might understand a bit more about what God and his kingdom is like. If we can understand that a bit more, it helps us grow in our relationship with God, become stronger in our faith, um, and it also helps us to relate to him a bit better. Obviously we talked last week about the secrets of the kingdom and a lot of the parables we're doing over the next few weeks are coming out of one chapter of the Bible, Matthew 13, where there's seven or eight parables in that one chapter. And his disciples asked him this question, why do you speak to the people in parables? And essentially he's using parables to expose the hearts and motives of people and to reveal and equip to his disciples about what he is like. And so that's why he's doing it. Today we come to what is considered the first parable, the foundational parable, and that is the parable of the sower. Uh, I'm going to read a passage and then I'm going to just pray and take it from there. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And then later in that same chapter, he explains the parable in verse 18. He says this, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for your presence. We thank you for all that you do when we gather. And uh, we pray that you would continue to speak to us by your Holy Spirit through the words I speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to read them, but this parable is also in the book of Mark and it's also in the book of Luke. Um, I'm not going to read them, but I am basically talking out of a summary of those three Accounts of the parable of the sower. When you put them all together, what does it tell you? That is kind of um, what I will be referring to, not just what I've read in Matthew. So I want to make just a couple of observations on the parable of the sower. The first is it's seen as a foundational parable. It's seen as, like, foundational. Uh, How do we know that? Because in one of the passages, I can't remember which one, Jesus says to the disciples... um, when they say, tell us what it means, he says to them, you don't understand. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the others? Yeah, This parable, of all parables, is the simplest to understand. And um, there's a number of things just to say about that. It's the first parable that Jesus ever tells and that he says it's foundational. You've got to, If you don't understand this one, how will you understand any of the others? Second, it's easy to understand, and Jesus explains it. He doesn't do that with every parable. There are some parables where Jesus doesn't give the same level of explanation as he does for this one. The third thing is this parable talks about the heart. Yeah? And we know the Bible says lots about the heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. God looks on the heart. Yeah? You must tend to your heart. Yeah? The state of your heart is the thing that determines the fruitfulness of your life. So if you do not tend to your heart, you probably won't be fruitful, even though you think you might. If you're doing other things, in reality, you have to tend to your heart if you're going to be fruitful as a Christian. You must do it. Yeah, and it's a foundational thing, and that's why I think this parable is foundational. In essence, though, it's a farming story. Now, um, I'm sure you don't need to. It won't take much for you to guess. I'm not a farmer. I've never been a farmer. I know very little about fields and wheat and anything to do with farming. Um, I've, I've visited farms, but I don't know anything about how it works. Yeah, so I'll just say that right up front. Um, but it is important for us to understand a little bit about that. The farmer sows or scatters seed. Yeah, some, some passages say it's, he sows, others say that he scatters. Yeah? He scatters seed. The seed falls onto different kinds of ground. On certain ground, it becomes food for birds, essentially. On other ground, it has no root, it doesn't last. On a third type of ground, it grows, but it gets choked by other things around it. And some lands in good soil, and it produces a harvest. Essentially, when you sow or scatter seed, it doesn't all take Yeah, every seed that gets planted doesn't take. Yeah, some seed is wasted. Yeah, and and Jesus kind of alludes to it. Some seed is wasted, you scatter seed, some of it takes, some of it doesn't take. It's almost this quite indiscriminate throwing out of seed. Now, for us, obviously, people who don't like waste, you're like, oh, you no, don't want to do that. We need to be more careful. But actually, the word is sown in that kind of scattering way. And the different kinds of soil tells us that sowing is indiscriminate and liberal. Someone's doing this, just throwing out, throwing out. They're not necessarily trying to plant individual seeds in the ground. Yeah? It's much more indiscriminate than that you're not trying to be too deliberate waste is okay or waste happens but you trust that some will be fruitful that's how sowing occurs at least in this passage Jesus uses this story about the farmer sowing seed to illustrate liberal indiscriminate spreading of the word of God that's what he's talking about the word is sown and depending on the state of people's hearts will depend on whether the word is fruitful in their lives or not now there are many ways of interpreting this particular passage and you know for years you may have grown up thinking certain things about it but you can imagine some of the ways some people would argue that this parable speaks specifically about our response to the gospel So the first time you hear the gospel, how is your heart when you respond to the gospel? And it clearly is about that. But I think it's more than that. It's more than that. My own understanding of reading all those passages and putting them all together is it simply speaks about our response in our hearts to the word of God. Yeah? It's your response to the word of God. It's my response to the word of God. It's a message about the kingdom of God. It's not necessarily simply about people who don't believe, who might believe. It's also about people who do believe. And when seed gets planted into their hearts, how do they respond? The reason I think that is because when you begin to look at the different conditions of the heart, you realise that they still apply when you're a Christian yeah they still apply yeah christians can be like the path they can be hard hearted christians can be like the rocky ground yeah where there's no root christians can be like the thorny ground where everything gets choked and overwhelmed and christians can be like the seed which is uh, the ground which is good soil where there's multiplication of fruitfulness that's not just related to unbelievers christians we can be like that we know that Sometimes we can think to ourselves that, that, that Christians de facto are good soil, but, but that would be naive to think that. Yeah? We'd be naive to think that all Christians all of the time are good soil when they hear the word of God, because we don't all respond like that. There is a reality that we can experience and we do experience it's, it's no different to the people of Israel. If you read about the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. They had promises over them as a people. God pr- promised blessing upon them. Yet the truth is they were not always open to him. They were not always looking to him. Sometimes their hearts were hard. Sometimes they were far from God. And just because we are Christian doesn't mean our response to God is always good. Yeah? It doesn't mean that. What I want to focus on with those three texts, those three passages that are kind of, I'm summarising, is what the Bible says about these things. Some things are clear. Yeah, If you read those three texts, you'll find a number of things that are very clear. The first thing that's clear is everyone hears the word. Yeah. In every one of those situations, people hear the word. Even, even on the path, they hear the word. Yeah. On the path, they hear it. In the rocks, they hear it. Um, secondly, though, everyone hears the word, but one group—those that, if you like, relate to the path—they don't understand the word, so there is no fruit. So everybody hears it, but there is one group explicitly that do not understand it. They don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to them. And because of that, uh, it talks about the devil snatches it away. Um, But there could be all sorts of reasons why that happens. It's not necessarily that becomes the fault of someone else. For some people, they don't hear it. They don't understand it. Only one group understands and retains the word and bears much fruit. We know that as well. There's one group, we don't understand it. There's another group where they do understand it, they do retain it, and they are fruitful. The other two are somewhere in the middle. It's a little bit more complicated. They get some of it, but not all of it. There is some fruit, but not much fruit. Different situations and circumstances expose what the state of your heart is, and therefore the amount of fruit that you produce. The state of the heart is the responsibility of the individual. It's really helpful for us to know that. It's not the responsibility of the sower. It's not the responsibility of the seed. Now, we can at times think to ourselves, well, what's the church doing to ensure this or that happening? But in the end, the state of your heart is your responsibility. Yeah? It's not, in the end, my responsibility. It's your responsibility to keep your heart good so that, so that when the seed is planted in it, you bear much fruit. It's your responsibility. And then fruit is always meant to be abundant. It's always meant to be abundant. It's never like added up. You know, I, I plant a seed, I get a grain of corn. I plant a second seed. It doesn't work like that. When it talks about the the fruit, it talks about 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's abundant. Fruit is meant to be (coughs) abundant. You're meant to have (coughs) abundant fruit in your life as a Christian. Liberal, indiscriminate, generous sowing of seed will mean the word encounters different conditions in people's lives and it should produce ultimately abundant fruit. It doesn't always do that, though. doesn't always do that. And we're going to look briefly at the four conditions of the heart. And this is important because you should be sitting there thinking, hmm, yeah, okay, where's my heart? Am I producing abundant fruit in my life? Is my life being overwhelmed by stuff or what is going on for me? Don't leave your heart. Don't be careless or casual about your heart. Yeah? You need to do something. We all need to do some things for us to do. So the first condition is the path. And the path is like a well-worn, trodden path so that it may well be mud, but it's so caked and trodden that when the seed falls on it, it just sits on the top. It's hard. It's hard. And this refers to people who don't understand what they've hurt the the bible the passage tells us that the evil one satan he takes away the seed so they don't believe and are saved and that's what it says it says actually the evil one snatches it away and so that they don't believe and that they're not saved the path is hard and there is an active force trying to remove seed from hard hearts. We must understand that. That this is not just a situation where, you know, you plant seeds and hopefully it happens. There is something and someone who is actively trying to prevent seeds from getting planted into good soil. Yeah? And that we would not be fruitful. Some people hear the word and they just don't get it. Yeah? And probably all of us would know people like that. And maybe you've had those embarrassing conversations when your friend says to you or your family member, they say to you, oh, so you believe, um, well, you believe in God. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, I do. tell, Tell me what you believe about God, because that's strange. We can't, where is God? Where is he? And you end up in awkward situations and conversations and you feel a bit embarrassed because some people just don't get it. They don't. They don't understand it. But behind that, for some of them, they don't want to understand it either. Yeah, we just have to face that reality. Some people don't want to understand the word, they don't want to get it, they don't know. They don't want to find out more. There's no spark of understanding. There's no spark of interest. That is partly who Jesus is talking to when he talks to the crowd. The crowd are following him now because he's performed miracles and he's done this really interesting teaching. But now when he realises that actually they don't all get it. They don't all get it. And they remain dead in their sins. You see, the Bible says this. The fool... Says in his heart, There is no God. When the Bible calls a fool a fool, it's not saying that they are intellectually unintelligent. Yeah? It's not because they're intellectually unintelligent. It's not because they are stupid. But rather, many people want moral independence. And the way you get moral independence is you determine that there is no God. And therefore, there are no implications for what God may or may not have. I don't have to think about that because there is no God. Therefore, I am free to get on and do my own thing. We only do that with morality. We don't do that with anything else. You don't get people coming up with new drugs to try on people that have never been tried anywhere else. It never happens. It's only with morality... Do we really want complete freedom and independence to decide how we live and what we do? Because if I think that there might be a God, there just might be implications for how I am to live. And I don't want that. I don't want that. So I simply say there isn't a God. I don't need to prove it. I don't need to disprove it. I just say it's not there. Do you know what? In, in my experience over the years of, of being a Christian, being a Christian in pastoral ministry, I've seen numbers of Christians sadly fall into, into moral sin. Yeah? And one of the things that I find interesting about that, when I've seen that happen uh, for many people over many years, is one of the things that happens, and I've, I saw it with a number of guys particularly, the moment they fell into moral sin, they walked away from God. It was almost like those two things went hand in hand, because they could not live with the reality that if I am to live for God, there are implications about how I live, and I have kind of chosen a different way, whereas if I choose not to live for God, I almost banish those implications. Yeah? I will not be judged by a God that I don't believe in. And I saw it happen. I saw it happen on a number of occasions. People were in the church. They were serving in the church. Then out of nowhere, it comes out that they're in moral decline. The next week, you don't see them again. Literally, you do not see them again. And it's because these things go together. There are implications for how we live. And if you accept that there is a God who exists, you have to accept, okay, what does that mean? How does that work? So I've seen that happen. It simply means those moral conditions no longer apply here. So that's the path. It's hard. People don't understand, but sometimes they choose not to understand. They don't want to understand. They don't want the implications of God and what that means. Secondly, we have the rocky place. This is shallow and experiential. It's really interesting that in the rocky place, it says the word is received with joy. Yeah, The first response is joy. But the reality is difficult times expose that. Some people hear the word and it feels like it's just what they've been looking for. Yeah, you've seen it, you've, you've, you've met people, I know, I've met people, they've heard the gospel and they've gone, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Yeah, and there is this huge joy that comes and they're smiling and they're happy and it's wonderful and we're happy and smiling They hear the word, it blows their minds. It's the answer to all their problems. They receive it with joy and gladness. And what happens? They want to change the world for Jesus. They want to give their whole lives into his service. So their lives are going this way. Suddenly they find Jesus and bang, we're going in a different direction. I am giving everything for Jesus now. As of this moment. They say something like, do you know what? Now I've become a Christian, I plan in the next couple of years to go to Bible college and then become a missionary in Syria, Congo, or another war-torn nation and tell people the good news about Jesus. People have said that to me, and they may well have said that to you. Yeah, There's joy in their hearts. The problem is there's little or no root. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of depth. The response may be genuine, but only in time and the reality of circumstance will test its authenticity. Circumstances really help you. Time helps you because it does test what's real. If there is no root, this passage tells us, somebody who responds like that, when trouble and or persecution comes, you'll fall away. You'll fall away. They believe for a while, but in all three passages, it talks about falling away after a short time quickly. That's what it talks about. It grows up and then it's gone. Now, sadly, that that, that is clearly a response of the gospel. It really is. It's a response to the word. It's a sad response in some ways. For us, it's sad. It's painful, but it happens. So when it happens let's not overreact because it tells us it's going to happen some people are going to respond like that the third condition of the heart is what's described as the thorns we will all know people who begin or began well you know people who who were who were great they were examples but over time they've been choked and overwhelmed by life so that they are no longer fruitful i remember as a young christian looking up there were two guys in my church in particular who i really looked up to they inspired me i wanted to be like them they were better at me than football not much but just a little yeah i wanted to be like them Yeah, I I just looked up to them. I remember inviting one of them to my birthday party. He was a few years older than me. He came along. I remember he gave me 50p. And in those days, 50p, it was a lot of money. Yeah, I was like, wow, how generous, how generous. Yeah, I remember wanting to be like them. I remember seeing them as an example. Yet for whatever reason, they fell away. And it would be the thorns. It would be the desire for other things. The deceitfulness of wealth. The, just, the anxieties of the world just came in and it choked what God appeared to be doing so that they became unfruitful. They became unfruitful. What are the worries of life? Life. For some people, the worries of life might be around, will I get married? Will I have a good career? Will my children do well? What about my personal goals? I worry about stuff. Some of us just worry about stuff. And we end up worrying so much that we forget, oh, no, God's bigger than all of that. I, I know God's bigger, but actually, God, leave me to my worries, please. Yeah? Let, me, let me worry. It, it helps me. I feel more comfortable. The worries of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth. Why is wealth deceitful? Why is wealth deceitful? Well, there are many reasons. But we think wealth will bring us comfort, security and blessing. It's deceitful. It's deceitful. Do you know what? When you have no money or not a lot of money, and you're a Christian, there's an element where you go, do you know what? I, I just have to pray. I, just, I, can't, I can't do it. I haven't got the money. I haven't got the savings. I haven't got the money behind me. I can't say, God, can you provide, knowing I've got £20,000 in the bank. No, it's like, God, if you don't provide, it's not happening. Yeah? What I've realised, just for me, this isn't everyone, uh, just for me, um, that the more money I get, and actually I don't get that, but the more money I get, the less faith I have. How bizarre. The money goes up, the faith goes down. Yeah? And as the money goes up, and I become more interested in the money, I realise that when something demands of the money, because this happened to me this week, when something demands of the money that came out of the blue, I get angry. Yeah, I remember. I remember talking to Pauline. I was I was annoyed. Something had happened where I was having to spend more money than I wanted to. And Pauline said, Do "You have the money." I said, "Yeah, I have the money." And I was like, "Oh, yeah." I realised in my heart I was getting angry. The money went up. The faith went down. It's really interesting. I don't know if I mentioned. Did I tell you about the Rick Warren story last week? Did I mention it? No. no okay, I'll tell you now. The Rick Warren story. So Rick Warren, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. Um, he announced the other day, or somewhere, I don't know when it was, he announced it that it had become the 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 biggest selling book in U.S. history. Yeah, purpose-driven life. And uh, so he he has made obviously multi millions of pounds. Yeah, and uh, he would talk about the fact that one of the things that he does is he reverse tides. Yeah, he he um um he when uh, you know so he. He would give, like, 10% of his money, like, to church or whatever. And then every year he would review it and he would give a bit more. He'd give a bit more. And he said to his people, um, you, know, you know, I reverse tithe and everything. And everyone, and as we would as well, I would think, do you know what, I would reverse tithe if I had multi-millions of pounds. Yeah? I would do that. His response, he asked the question, his response was, no, you won't. No, you won't. He said, "If you're not doing that now, you won't. You won't do that then." Yeah, he had been reverse tithing for thirty years. So when he had very little money, he, the next year he reviewed his giving. And he said, "Okay, we're going to give eleven percent." this year. "No, this year we're going to give twelve percent. We're going to give fourteen percent." He just kept reverse tithing. Just kept reverse tithing. And I realised that not everyone has been given that gift. So it didn't surprise me when he said that, that God would give him what he gave him because this man already had a heart to give. Yeah, that seed had been sown in his heart and he was giving. When I thought about it, for me, I realised, oh man, I'm not sure I would be reverse tithing. I was angry when someone demanded money that I could afford to pay. But the thorns, the deceitfulness of wealth, they come in and they choke the worked. The desire for other things... These might not be bad things, but they do lead to unfruitfulness. What I've realised in the reality of Christian experience is thorns keep Christians immature. Thorns keep Christians immature. Immature Christians are exposed by life's concerns and pleasures, and often they live conflicted lives. Yeah, You live conflicted because you want the pleasures, you kind of can have the pleasures, but you also want God. You're like, well, God doesn't say you can't be rich. So you kind of do both. It divides your heart. It can be subtle. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. Some of us, that's just the, that's just the way God has blessed us. That's fine. But in your heart... Is it conflicted? You have divided hearts. You know, we we all have little life goals. I remember talking to a friend of mine. One of his big goals was to be mortgage-free. Do you know what? He's on his way to being mortgage-free, but so much else in his life has just become unfruitful. This because of life's pressures and choices. This is not unique to our generation, but it is a particular issue in our generation because life presents so many options. Yeah? I don't know how many of you shop in Sainsbury's or how many of you shop in Aldi. There's a difference. One of the differences is this. When you go to Aldi, you can choose three kinds of ham. Yeah? When you go to Sainsbury's, You can choose 53 kinds of ham. Yeah? You can have it cured. Honey roast. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah? Life presents so many choices that we almost put a value on the ability to choose, the freedom to choose. It's not unique, but it is particular for us. The thorns. Then finally, it speaks of the good soil And the good soil is very specific. It's people who hear the word, they understand the word, they accept the word and they seek to retain the word and with perseverance bear not only good fruit but multiple fruit. You have to work on the soil, which means you have to work on your heart. We must work on our hearts. Don't leave your heart carelessly to whatever comes its way. It doesn't just become good and stay good. The mature Christian, who is this Christian, is preoccupied and focused on ensuring they're fruitful at all costs and that the word bears the right fruit in their lives. The soil of their hearts is open. So what does that look like? Just running through that passage about the good soil, in one passage it talks about a noble and good heart. Yeah, a noble and good heart. We don't use those phrases today very often. I've never said to any of you, you've got a noble and good heart. Yeah, I might mean that, but I've never actually said that. But what it's talking about, really, is integrity of heart. Authenticity of heart. That your heart is not conflicted. And conflicted means you want the pleasures of the world and you want God. Yeah, and you can kind of not, you know, which way do I go? Oh, I'm always tempted. A noble and good heart is a heart that is not conflicted, that you prepare it to receive the word of God, that you hear the word of God. Everyone, as I say, hears the word. That's not the point, that you, for a good heart... You understand it. You recognise it's good and you also might recognise the pitfalls of the other three conditions. What do I need to do to ensure that my heart is not hard? What do I need to do to ensure that my heart doesn't respond superficially in a shallow way? What do I need to do to protect myself from the worries and cares of this life? You need to think about that in order that you allow the seed to get buried into good soil. You understand it. You accept it for what it is and the priority it needs in your life. And if you do that, you can bury it so it doesn't get snatched away. You retain it, which means you understand the need to protect it and keep it so that when it's buried, it forms roots. You need roots. Without roots, you just go everywhere. You don't last. And you persevere with it. You don't give up even if fruit is slow in coming. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, but I was meant to be doing this, my life's about that and this, and all these things are not happening. Persevere with it. Persevere with it. In the end, the promise is you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. You might not bear the kind of fruit that you're thinking, but you will bear fruit. Don't allow it to be choked by other things. Clear away competing things. And that's important, yeah? Clear away things that compete. When, you're, when you get to that point where you're conflicted, and conflicted means I really want to go for this, but I also want to go for God, and you're kind of like, oh, how, what do I do? Clear everything away that competes. Because think about it. I'm not a gardener. You may know that. I can just about cut the grass. But if you plant something in a pot, you don't plant in the same pot something that competes with it. You just don't do that. So if you plant in your life, I want the word of God to be fruitful in my life. Don't also plant in your life, and I want my career to be brilliant. Don't, don't do that. They're competing. Plant in the word of God and trust the promises of God that if you seek first the kingdom, he'll add everything else. Trust him. Trust him. That's kind of where you need to go with it. And if you do that, you will find that you'll be abundantly fruitful. And abundantly fruitful means that it's not your God just adds bits to you here and there, but it will be multiplied to you. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. He promises abundant fruitfulness to people whose hearts are like the good soil, where the seed comes. So the question I want to leave you with, and then I'm going to finish. Where is your heart in relation to the word? What will you do with what you've heard today? Will you seek to apply it? Will you find a way? I've got to be able to apply this. Or will it be snatched away before you're out that door? That's your choice. That's your choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, your words, and Lord, even this morning, the seed that has been liberally scattered in all our dealings with you, with our worship, our prayers, and everything that we've done today has been the scattering of seed. Lord, I pray that that seed falls on good soil, and I pray it bears abundant fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen